Christ. It means we are his representative. And when we hear that, all we think about is the moral teachings of Jesus. We need to act a certain way, say certain things. But what if we took his actions as well? What if we began to do what Jesus did up until the point of laying down our lives? That doesn't preach very well. But being a good person and feeding the poor and and helping the homeless and taking care of widows and all of that, we like to hear that and that's where our mind goes. But boy, Jesus did an awful lot. What did he do? Matthew chapter 4 verse 23 said he went about all Galilee, he taught in their synagogues, he preached the gospel of the kingdom, and he healed all kinds of sicknesses and all kinds of diseases among the people. His fame went throughout all Syria and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments and those who were demon possessed, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. How many did he heal? All of them. There was nobody left out. In fact, you will never find a circumstance where somebody was brought to Jesus or came to Jesus where he said, I'm sorry, it's not my will. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, and Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. So he didn't leave any out there either. So what did he do? He taught, he preached, he healed. That is what we talked about last week, how he went around teaching, preaching, and healing. So what should we be doing? If we're going to be ambassadors for Christ, we represent Him, we should be His mouth and the teaching and the preaching, and we should be His hands in the healing. But we're screwed up because we got bad, bad theology. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, it says, imitate me as I also imitate Christ. This is Paul. Who is he imitating? Christ. Well, what is he doing? He was teaching, he was preaching, and he was healing. And you know what else he was doing? Laying down his life. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1, be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ has also loved us and he gave himself for us. What does that mean? He laid down his life. We should imitate him. Be like him. Walk in love. What does walking in love do? They tell the truth. Even if you don't like it. Listen, I was talking to somebody just last week. You know, we've got this mantra is that we need to just chase our dreams, find what we're passionate about, and chase our dreams. What a load of nonsense. Right now, in this moment, my four-year-old's dream is to be Spider-Man. I'm not encouraging that. It would not shock me if there is a college degree that you could pay for to be Spider-Man, but I'm not encouraging him to chase his dream. What should we be chasing? God. And look for the doors of opportunity to open. 1 John chapter 2, verse 3 says, Now by this we know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. He who says, I know Him and does not keep His commandments is a liar and the truth is not in Him. But whoever keeps His word, truly the love of God is perfected in Him. By this we know that we are in Him. He who says He abides in Him ought Himself also to walk just as He walked. Well, how do you do that? You teach, you preach, and you heal. You lay down your life. You see, we're supposed to be living sacrifices. Dead sacrifices are done. They do it once, it's over. But our lives should be so consecrated to God that it's like wherever you want, however you want, whenever you want. That's the way we should be. How do we do it? Whenever I want, however I want, wherever I want. And then I'll say, well, God wants me to do this because of X, Y, Z. So we need to begin to look at what Jesus did. What did he do? We know that Jesus was the ambassador of the Father. He was the representative of God 
on this earth? Is he different than the God of the Old Testament as some will have you believe? Absolutely not. They talk about him as if he was some flower child that came in peacefully. And he just, oh, I'm just love, I love you, you're good, just go on, life is good. That was not what he was doing. The judgment's coming. He was here to pay the price to give you a way out. But the thing that's coming is the same God. He was never different. He represented, he believed the Old Testament, if you didn't know that. He preached it. He taught it. He lived it. He quoted Deuteronomy uh, more than any other book of the Bible. And that's not a fun read. There's not a whole lot of, you know, stuff we want to put on pillows and stuff in the book of Deuteronomy. So when we look at the God of the Old Testament and Jesus being the representative of the New Testament and us being a representative of Jesus, we should see that God's character is the same from beginning to end. We like to isolate the Old Testament and say, oh, you know what, that's the Old Covenant. And I I get that. But that doesn't mean we discard it by any means. So what was the God of the Old Testament? Did God heal in the Old Testament? Let me give you a few verses. I'm just going to go through these quickly. Exodus chapter 15, verse 26 is, If you listen carefully to the voice of the Lord your God and do what is right in His eyes, if you pay attention to His commands and keep all His decrees, I will not bring on on you any of the diseases I brought on the Egyptians. For I am the Lord who heals you. Boy, He just made a declaration, didn't He? I am the Lord who heals you. Exodus 23, verse 25, Worship the Lord your God, and His blessing will be on your food and water. I will take away sickness from among you, and, and none will miscarry or be barren in your land. I will give you a full lifespan. Who did it? God did it. Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 15, the Lord will, uh, will keep you free from every disease. He will not inflict you on you the horrible diseases you knew in Egypt, but he will inflict them on all who hate you. Who keeps them free from every disease? God did. It's almost like he's this loving, compassionate, merciful God. Isaiah 29, verse 18, in that day the deaf will hear in the words of the scroll, and out of the gloom and darkness the eyes of the blind will see. Again, who's doing this? It's God. Isaiah 33, verse 21. No one living in Zion will say, I am ill, and the sins of those who dwell there will be forgiven. Isaiah 35, verse 5. Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer, and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Ezekiel 47, verse 12. Fruit trees of all kinds will grow on both banks of the river. The leaves will not wither, nor will the fruit fail. Every month they will bear because the water from the sanctuary flows to them. Their fruit will serve for fruit and their leaves for healing. Here we got healing again. Malachi chapter 4 verse 2. But for you who revere my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. And you will go out and leap like the calves raised from the stall. What, what do we, we know about that one because I spent time in that. But we know that was a reference to the Messiah coming with healing in his wings. That is why the woman with the issue of blood reached out and grabbed the hem of his garment. It's the talit, the tassel, that was on the hem of his garment. What do we see here consistently? And I just gave you a few, guys. We could do this all day long. There are dozens and dozens and dozens of verses about God being the one who heals all their diseases. We can turn to the book of Psalm. We've read this, Psalm 103. Verse 1, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquities. And what does he do? He heals all your diseases. But that's Old Testament. Guess what? Jesus did the same thing. Seems as if he's consistent. You see, the reason I'm, I'm hammering this point is that Jesus didn't come in with just some new thing that's never been seen before. Certainly, the new covenant matters. Don't misunderstand me. 
There were new things taking place, but the character of God did not transform in the person of Jesus. He was the representative of God on this earth. Now, how do we know that it was God's will to heal in the Old Testament? Well, we see it multiple places. How do we know that it's God's will to heal in the New Testament? We see it multiple places. Now, I want to turn to a psalm today, and I want to show you something that kind of struck me this week a little bit for the first time, but the more I thought about it, the more I couldn't get off of it. So Psalm 107, we're going to read the whole thing. Psalm 107, it says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endures forever. So this is a psalm of thanksgiving. What are they thankful for? They're, they're coming out of captivity. Like, God is good. He's doing exactly what He said He would do. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from the hand of the enemy and gathered out of the lands from the east to the west, the north and from the south. They wandered in the wilderness in a desolate way, and they found no city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted to them. Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distresses. He led them forth by the right way, that they might go to a city for a dwelling place. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he satisfies the longing soul and fills the hungry soul with goodness. Those who sat in darkness and in the shadow of death bound in affliction and irons because they rebelled against the words of God and despised the counsel of the Most High. Therefore he brought down their heart with labor. They fell down and there was none to help. And they cried out to the Lord in their trouble and he saved them out of their distresses. He brought them out of darkness and the shadow of death and broke their chains in pieces. Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. For he has broken the gates of bronze and cut the bars of iron in two. Fools, because of their transgression, because of their iniquities, were afflicted. Their soul abhorred all manner of food, and they drew near to the gates of death. And they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. He sent his word, and he healed them. And delivered them from their destructions. Oh, that man would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to their children of men. Let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare his works with rejoicing. Did you pick up on a theme? Oh, that men would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness and for his wonderful works to the children of men. So that is the theme. What would happen? God is leading, guiding, blessing. They would get off kilter. They'd cry out to God. What would he do? Bring deliverance. Oh, that they would give thanks to the Lord for his goodness. But there's something here that's interesting. In verse 19, it says, they cried out to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. So they cried out like a repentant cry. Lord, we're sorry. And what did he do? He sent his word, and he healed them. Now, that's interesting to me. Because what does it mean to send his word? We know what heal them means. That's kind of self-explanatory. But what does it mean to send his word? And do we see Jesus do that very thing? Your mind may be going to Matthew chapter 8, and I understand that. Matthew chapter 8, verse 5. We read this a week or so ago. Now Jesus, when he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed, dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and I will heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should be, uh, come under my roof, but only speak a word. And my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and another come, and he comes. And my servant, do this, and he does it. 
And Jesus heard it. He marveled and said to those who followed, Surely I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And I say to you that many will come from the east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way. As you have believed, let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour. What did he do? He sent his word and healed their disease. You didn't have to lay hands on them. Nothing wrong with that. It's biblical practice. But he sent his word and he healed their diseases. We'd come back to this. Psalm 107 verse 20. He sent his word and he healed them, delivering them from their destruction. That's interesting. Well, maybe it goes a little bit further than what we read in Deuteronomy chapter 8. Remember, Jesus quotes this in Matthew chapter 4. It says, every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe that you may live and multiply and go and possess the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you and allowed you to hunger. He fed you with manna you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but we live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. So he sends his word, and what? Heals our diseases. We see it time and time again. You see, last week we began to investigate is how do we know that it is God's will to heal? And we looked at it from a very logical standpoint. Our bodies heal themselves. Don't you wish everything did? Don't you wish when your truck started running bad, you just hit a little button and it fixed itself? It would be wonderful, wouldn't it? And a lot cheaper. But he has designed our bodies to heal themselves. Doctors don't heal. Doctors do things to put your body in a position to heal itself. They'll tell you this. You know, if you have a cut and your body doesn't naturally clot, you will bleed to death regardless of the size of the clot or the, the, the cut. The size of it will dictate the time frame that you have. But because your body has something inside of it, mainly vitamin K, that causes it to clot, thus it heals itself. And eventually the cut goes away. Unless you pick at the scab a whole bunch and then you have a marker forever that you will remember by. I mean, bones heal themselves. But what do doctors do? They'll help line them up so they'll heal quicker. But they can't do anything to make it heal. Right? That's the thing. We know logically that God's will is for healing because he designed us to be healed amongst ourselves. If that wasn't the case, guess what? Every time we overcame a cold, we're going against God's will. I know it sounds stupid, but that is literally where the logic goes. If you're going to be consistent, you've got to be consistent. So if that's the case, we know it's God's will, then why did he send his word and heal the diseases? Well, let me give you this idea. We always think of no different than when they took the aprons from Paul and they put them on people. Jesus spoke the word. The person was healed. They talk about Lazarus. You don't even have to go to Lazarus. You speak a word. He'll rise up. He'll be fine. All the reasonings why for that stuff. But what about this one? John 1, 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Jump down to verse 14. And the Word became flesh, and He dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory of, as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. What if this was the moment that He sent His Word and healed our diseases? So you see, we know who this is talking about. This is talking about Jesus. What I'm telling you is this is not a cute analogy, that this is a title of Messiah. One of the members of the Godhead, this is a title of Him. Now, I know that's a stretch, but I'm going I'm to show you this 
in Scripture here in just a moment, but just think about that. Is Jesus the Word made flesh? Yes. Jesus was sent to the earth to do what? Die on our behalf. What is the net result of that? We have this new covenant, and what are the promises of the new covenant? Life everlasting. Not old things made new, dead things brought to life. And as I have shown you scripturally, it seems as if his will in that was bodily healing. So what if Psalm 107 wasn't just simply talking about something back then, but was one of those already but not yet prophecies as he sent his word and he healed us? Let me show this to you. Let's jump over to Genesis chapter 15, verse 1. You see, there's a phrase that's used oftentimes. It's called the word of the Lord. And the word of the Lord came to them. And the word of the Lord came to them. And we see this over and over again. And what do we think? They get this voice in their head or something along those lines. God's speaking, whether it's audibly, inaudibly, we don't really know. But the word of the Lord came to them. What I want to begin to show you is that if you look at this and you read it very, very carefully, you'll see that these are physical manifestations of God. And I believe Jesus himself showing up because I believe that every time we see the angel of the Lord, some sort of a Christophany, it is Jesus pre-incarnate on the earth. Bear with me. Genesis chapter 15, verse 1. This is right after Abraham meets with Melchizedek. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram, right? So what does that mean? What do we think? We think that it's some audible voice, but what does it say? The word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. He's seeing him, Okay? Do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless in the air of my house as Eleazar of Damascus? And Abram said, Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside. Look now toward heaven and count the stars if you're able to number them. And he said to them, so shall your descendants be. And he believed in the Lord and he counted to him righteousness. Now think about that. The word of the Lord came to him and brought him outside. What does that imply? He's standing there. This isn't the only example, but just bear with me here. I'm going to keep showing you this time and time again. When we see this, when you, it's, it's like when we're talking about Wednesday nights, when God says, Noah, come into the ark. What does that imply? He's in the ark. He didn't say go into the ark. He says come. When it says he brought him outside, what does that imply? Hey, come over here. I want to show you something. Who is the he? I believe it's Jesus. Now, with this in mind, let's read out of John chapter 8, verse 54. Because I want you to see something here. And this only makes sense in light of this. Jesus answered, if I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father who honors me, of whom you say that he is your God, yet you have not known him, but I know him. And if I say I do not know him, I should be a liar like you, but I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it, and he was glad. And the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said, most assuredly I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. When did Abraham see Jesus. It's got to be back there in Genesis 15. Okay, well, that's just one. Just bear with me. I'm not saying that that's necessarily right, but we're going to go on. I can smell the smoke, so y'all are thinking. That's good. Let's jump over to 1 Samuel chapter 3. 
Do you guys know who uh, the key character is in 1 Samuel? Samuel. Nice work. Okay. Way to go. Now, the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation. Now, let me stop there. So the word of the Lord was rare in those days. What does that mean? Well, most of the time we think of it, he was not speaking very often. The word widespread revelation often is translated in the Hebrew, meaning no frequent visions. Okay? With me? And it came to pass at that time while Eli was lying down, in his place, and when his eyes had begun to grow so dim that he couldn't see, and before the lamp of God went out into the tabernacle of the Lord where the ark of God was, and while Samuel was lying down, the Lord called Samuel. And he answered, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you have called me. He said, I didn't call you. Lie down again. And he went and laid down. Then the Lord called yet again, Samuel. So Samuel arose and went to Eli, and he said, Here I am, for you called me. He answered, I did not call you, my son. Lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor was the word of the Lord yet revealed to him. Notice how it phrases that. Okay, we're keeping that in mind. Now, can you imagine what Eli's going through? It's late, child. Go to bed. You don't need a drink of water. You don't need a snack. Go to sleep. Shut up. Leave me alone. Verse 8. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. And he arose and he went to Eli and said, Here I am. For you did call me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord had called the boy, and therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down, and it shall be if he calls you, that you must say, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. Now the Lord came and stood and called as the other times. Samuel, Samuel. Did you catch that? Did I say it slow enough? The Lord came and he stood and he called as the other times. In other words, where was God at? He's standing there, as he was the other times. Samuel didn't see him. Samuel answered, speak for your servant hears. The Lord said to Samuel, behold, I will do something in Israel, at which both ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. In that day I will perform against Eli all that I have spoken concerning his house from beginning to end. I have told him that I will judge his house forever for the iniquity which he knows, because his sons made themselves vile and he did not restrain them. And therefore I have sworn to the house of Eli that the iniquity of Eli's house shall not be atoned for by sacrifice or offering forever. So Samuel lay down until morning and opened the doors of the house of the Lord, and Samuel was afraid to tell Eli the vision. And Eli called Samuel and said, Samuel, my son, he said, here I am. And he said, what is the word that the Lord spoke to you? Please do not hide it from me. God do so to you, and more also if you hide anything from me of all the things that he said to you. And Samuel told him everything. He had nothing from him. He said, it is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. So Samuel grew, and the Lord was with him, and let none of his words fall to the ground. What does that mean? Everything he said came to be. And all Israel from Dan to Beersheba knew that Samuel had been established as a prophet of the Lord. Then the Lord appeared again in Shiloh, for the Lord revealed himself to Samuel in Shiloh, by the word of the Lord. Are you guys catching this? You see, the word of the Lord is not some cute euphemism that is used to just be God speaking. The word of the Lord is a title of God that continuously appears through the Old Testament. You guys catching this? I want you to get this because we're looking at something here. Let's go one more. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 1. The words of Jeremiah the son of Hilkiah, of the priests who were in Anathoth, in the land of Benjamin, 
to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, in the thirteenth year of his reign. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the end of the eleventh year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, until the carrying away of Jerusalem captive in the fifth month. So Jeremiah is laying out the timeline of where he's at and all that. We're not going to worry about that right now. Verse 4, then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, all right, we see this again. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctify you. I ordained you as a prophet to the nation. Now, that's a verse we like, right? Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. We hear that preached all the time. Verse 6. Then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am a youth, for you shall go to all who, to whom I sent you. And whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. Where was he standing? He's with Jeremiah. The word of the Lord came to him. Now think about that. Our entire lives, we've heard this, is that we are assumed, whether it was taught or just implied, is that when the word of the Lord comes, I've got a word from the Lord, whatever, it's some sort of just an audible type thing, whether it be physically audible, you actually hear it, whether it be something spoken into your spirit, it doesn't matter either way. But I'm showing you three examples of where the word of the Lord came to him, and we see a physical side attached to this. So when we look at Psalm 107, verse 20, he sent his word, and he healed them, and he delivered them from their destructions. When did he do this? I think it's in John 1.1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And the Word became flesh, and He dwelt among us. We beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Now think about that. He sent His Word and healed their diseases. Is that a true statement? Absolutely. See, we're trying to piece together this idea of what is God's will. But we see the Word of the Lord as a title of Jesus. If he sent his word then, he has sent his word now. We're going to do this brick by brick. As I've said, you know, sometimes I preach longer than other times because I don't want to get too much at once. But the bottom line, guys, is that we've got to retrain our brains. Because we know more reasons why God won't heal, doesn't heal, can't heal, than the simplicity of his word where he says, he sent his word and healed our diseases. We've got to get back on track. You see, because we can't be ambassadors of Christ, walking with the authority of Christ in us and do nothing with it. It's no different than a police officer watching a mugging and standing there watching, just wish somebody would take care of that. No different if you go to a restaurant and the order gets put in, the chef's in the back, it's like, boy, I wish somebody would make that. We laugh, but that's what we do, right? We hear about somebody sick, it's like, oh... Lord, I sure wish you would do something. We know people that aren't saved. Lord, I wish you'd send somebody to them. I know somebody who knows them. It's you. We're not his hands and feet. So let's quit playing church. Let's quit pretending that we've got this all down. We have become a social club that talks about Jesus. I don't necessarily mean we. 
You know what I mean. Big church. Okay, I'm not getting on anybody in here. I'm saying like there is so much more out there. But look what his will is. What is his will? He's created our bodies to heal itself. So therefore, if he doesn't want us to be healed, somebody should have let him know in the very beginning. Secondly, we see scripturally speaking of the atonement that Jesus did and what comes along with that. The third part is, is we see these scriptures in the Old Testament and the Old Covenant looking towards what God did for them, healing, that he heals all our diseases. It's one of his benefits. And now fourth, we look at this part. What is God's will? Well, he sent his word. And he did that. And his word tabernacled among us. His word became the Lamb of God that took away the sins of the world. Church, we have got to wake up. It's time to get active. There is no reason, no reason whatsoever that we are not acting out except one thing. Well, one or two. Apathy or fear. It's one of the two. If your pride allows you to not lay hands on people because you don't know if it's going to work, you have made it more about you than it is about him. Amen. Nope. Nope. The results are his. It's no different. What if I share the gospel and they don't get saved? Not my, not my problem. I mean, that sounds kind of callous, but it's really not. That's it. We're his hands, his feet, his voice. We are his ambassadors on this earth. Let's start acting like it, church. You hear about somebody sick, go pray for him. Let God take care of the results. Stand on his word. Amen. Come on, church, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, that you sent your word in your son. 